Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's why I taught myself how to draw. It was actually the Little Mermaid. Drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater and saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the car. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. And welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for tuning in for over 125 episodes. I'm so glad to be here. I am so glad that you're here listening. And I'm so glad to be a part of the Rising Tide Broadcast Network. I am so excited with how things are going. And we are not stopping anytime soon. So one thing that you will know about me as a creative, and I've had no issue saying this in the past, is that I have dealt with and continue to deal with that wonderful little tidbit that comes with being a creative, and that's imposter syndrome. That's always that uh, that nagging feeling in the back of your head that says, you're not good enough, you're a fraud, there's only a amount of time before people find out and that you have no business being here. And it's gotten to a point where I have started listening more to the positive voices from outside and less to that negative voice on the inside. And I'm always thrilled whenever we have uh, people that are dedicated to helping others feel the same way. And I am so thrilled to have Corey Lane Hilton here joining us. Corey has been, has experience as, as a male exotic dancer, has quite a few stories to tell about that going through the entire entertainment business on that end. Moving into writing, his, uh, his new book, uh, Take It Off, is out right now. And he is also on the path to becoming an authenticity coach, helping others to really kind of make peace with themselves, make peace with their partners, increase communication, increase confidence, increase awareness of what they're doing. And everything that he is doing for the beginning of 2022. As soon as I heard that he does this, I knew I had to have him on this show. And so it is with with great pleasure that I introduce my guest this week, Corey Lane Hilton. Corey, how are you? Oh, George. Wow. That was an incredible opening. Thank you so much for such an eloquent opening, like I say there. And yes, definitely a different type of industry that I was involved in. And I can very much relate to what you were mentioning there with imposter syndrome, something that I think many of us kind of feel, I guess you could say, when we're diving into something new, getting out of Mm -hmm. that comfort zone, right? When you're so a particular industry, mine might have been a little bit unorthodox, but sometimes you get into that comfort zone and it's really hard to to, to get out of that rut and move into a different direction. You have to go over a little bump sometimes to get out of that rut. And sometimes the bigger the bump, the bigger the imposter syndrome that somebody has. But for me, I, I was very in such a, I guess you could say industry of exposure, so to speak, on both sides <laughs> on both sides oh, yeah. of the border. That it, a lot of people have, I guess you could say, a certain perspective or a perception of what a male exotic dancer might be. Maybe having all the confidence in the world, maybe, or maybe thinking that they could achieve anything without having to really even work hard at doing it to a certain degree. That definitely is not the case for me. It wasn't that at all. I actually had to work very, very hard. Not only when I was in the industry, but when I came out of the industry. To to defeat my own sense of lack, to defeat mm. my own sense of unworthiness and really self-doubt in a lot of ways that you would never have seen through my alter ego that I had on stage. But there's a big difference between that alter ego and the guy that's at home alone when the lights come down, right? 
So yeah. there, and that's where a lot of people that I feel are in the spotlight, regardless of whether they're musicians or they're an actor or even being doing what I was doing. That my all I did was just really a form of live theater, but it was just in a more exposed environment. If you want to know the truth, really. Oh and yeah. So you can you. It's right on the line. Like if you don't, if you fail. It's obvious, right? If you do mm -hmm. really well, it's really obvious. So there's, oh, there's yeah. no, it's it's in your face, like literally right away there. So yeah, I had so many learning experiences through a 25 year career in the industry from the age of 17 on out till 43. And I dealt with everything from drug addiction, sex addiction, divorce, my own, like I said, lack that was embedded in my own head from childhood. Like a lot mm -hmm. of things that I passed off blame on, if you want to know the truth, for many, many years until I started to finally use my thumb instead of my finger in this last few years is because I actually came to a, I guess you could say, an authentic version of myself. And so that's why I went into authenticity coaching and I'm looking at in the very near future being certified to do that because I really wanted to be able to help out other people to get out of the pits and valleys or avoid the pits and valleys that I went through by not aligning with my authentic self, if that makes sense. So it does. Yeah. And it's funny that you should mention the thumb instead of the finger, because I actually heard that phrase I used for the, I want to say the first time, maybe just recently about mm -hmm. how so many people are too busy using that finger, the point at mm -hmm. other people, other things. But, but when it comes down to it, it's, it at the end of it all, like it's all going to fall on you. So you got to use that thumb, come to grips with it, and then start to kind of work yourself. That's so it's really something that, that everyone really needs in order to, in order to really make it in any, in any, in any part of life, really. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And I mean, like you got to also understand that I was in a bit of a perfectionism game. I'm a mm -hmm. former bodybuilder. Before I was even a dancer, I was a bodybuilder. So I was in a comparison perfection game. When I was oh, wow. in the dancing industry, it was a comparison perfection game. So mm -hmm. when you're in that realm all the time, you're looking at yourself and going, oh, well, it can't be me. Can't be mm -hmm. me. And even when you, and sometimes even when you are in that industry, which most people, quite frankly, aren't, but they kind of wonder what it was like, you mm -hmm. tend to also not believe that you have an ego or that your ego, egotism is under control. I don't take that home with me. Well, mm -hmm. no, I had to admit that, yes, I did take that home with me at times. I had to really take a look at my own marriage or my own relationship and come to terms with the fact that it wasn't all her fault. And it was mm -hmm. actually at the very minimum 50% my accountability. But I will say that after I got done with all that, I felt a massive weight come off my shoulders and I felt very, very liberated and very comfortable in my own skin in comparison to the person that I was before. So again, it comes back to if I can give somebody else that kind of a gift and they don't have to be a former dancer to be able to give them that type of gift, right? Everybody deals right. with this. And in my eyes anyways, and this is just my perspective, I believe that everybody out there, every single person has a certain degree of mental health that they deal with to a certain degree. And mm -hmm. you carry it from the moment you're born and it just adds on the layers, the layers, the layers. They start adding on as you get older and it's just life starts hitting you. And for mm -hmm. me, my mission now is, is to remove the layers. And that's actually the true representation of what Take It Off is. That's the true representation of what my title is. Yes, it is a metaphor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, if I can really, like I say, it's a far more gratifying for me to be able to help somebody out to avoid that than to than it was to take off my clothes and have somebody say take it off baby <laughs> it's a lot more a lot more gratifying so that's my i guess you could say new life mission now after being in that industry for so many years right oh yeah so. now before we get to the your origin story with everything mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about take it off revelations of a male exotic dancer 
Yeah, well, it starts off, it's actually a journey really of, of me when I really kind of kind of came to realization when I was very young at about five years old, where I had a really massive problem with disconnection emotionally. And mm -hmm. so I didn't really realize that at five. But what happened kind of was, is that I, I, when I looked back, when I was writing the book itself, I kind of went back into my childhood to a certain degree and found that there were times with my, because I was raised by my grandparents. So my grandparents, they were of a generation that was raised in the depression. So mm -hmm. when they went through all that, they obviously had trauma, they had lack, they had unworthiness, they had all those things I've already listed off, but on right. a much, much, much higher scale, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so it was very hard for them to even express emotion a lot of the time to their own children. So mm -hmm. when it came down to the words, now I'm not here to say that my parents didn't love me. That's not the case at all. In fact, they loved me more than, more than a lot of parents that I've seen out there and I'm very grateful to have them or to have had them. But right. at the same time, there was that they, they, they can only give you the tools that they have, right? So they, mm -hmm. they passed along that and where they did have, they, they had strengths, they passed those strengths off, but they also passed off weaknesses. And mm -hmm. so through that, I'll just say that when I was a little boy, I would just be sitting there and the rare times that they'd have company over, I'd be sitting in my bedroom and the bathroom was just a couple of feet over and there was a gap between there and the kitchen. So I would run back and forth between the bedroom and the bathroom stark naked just to get a rise out of the people in the kitchen, just to get a reaction because I didn't really get a lot of emotional reaction. So I did whatever I needed to do to get that reaction. It was like, mm -hmm. so they knew, they almost knew right away at five years old, I was going to be a stripper. I mean, that was kind of, <laughs> you know, like that was almost like right away. It was like, yeah, this kid's going to end up a dancer. But yeah. like, but in, but then what I, I do is, is I just kind of take people to in that place to paint the perspective of through a kid's eyes, like why that, of how that affected me and why I ended up taking this into that type of a career where I didn't just go into this industry to just make money. Yes, it was partially mm -hmm. money. And I didn't just go into it to, just get women in my life. Well, it was partially that too, but I'm just saying that when yeah. it came down to the whole picture, the, the biggest thing that I got, the thing that gave me goosebumps was to get the emotional reaction out of other people. So that live theater presence out there, whether it was something that made somebody cry, laugh their guts out, or just sit there and scream in ecstasy. I loved every minute of it. Like, and I just get it. That's where that's one of my main values, George, is, is creativity and the feeling that represents creativity for me is excitement. And if I yeah. don't have it in my life, if it's not there, I'm dying inside, literally dying inside. So mm -hmm. again, this is like, that's where it all started. And then it kind of moved into where I went through my teenage years and everybody, as they know, you go through your teenage years, you're kind of trying to find yourself, you're kind of awkward and all that stuff. But I just got plunked into this industry but before I was even an age to go into working in a bar, okay? So, like, I just ended up in a position where I <laughs> I had this friend of mine that worked out at the same gym that I did. And I'm up here in Canada, so drinking age is 19. Mm -hmm. And he said to me in the gym one day, he said, Corey, you should throw a university shirt on sometime and come down to the club. I'll let you in the door. And I said, oh, okay. So, nervously, I showed up at the club at, right when it opened up. There was nobody around. And he turned around and he said, he, he, the manager comes up and introduces himself. And we start having this little chit chat between the three of us. And the guy turns around and says to me, he says, so uh, you're going to school. And I said, yeah, yeah. And I wasn't lying. He didn't know I was going to high school. But, right. And then so he says, well, are you looking for some extra income? And I said, well, who isn't? And he kind of said, well, why don't you take your, take your shirt off? And so I took my shirt off and he said, you're hired. Uh, well, like, uh, hired for what? <laughs> <laughs> and he, he says, 
well, just be here on Tuesdays and Thursdays around this time. Get ready and you can get out there for three hours and uh, serve up drinks to the ladies and you make 15% of everything you sell and you take all your tips home and it's all you have to do, man. It's only like two or three hours. Enjoy yourself. Have a good time. And I was like, oh my God, I thought this is just like a 17-year-old kid's dream, right? So, yeah, so for me, yeah. I, I was all over it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's honestly, George, how it all started. But then it kind of it morphed and I could... My book actually does really, really the good stuff kind of gets started there and it carries right on till 43. So the book actually is over 100,000 words and 316 pages long because wow. it actually does have that much insane content in there of all the pivotal moments in my life. Everything from almost dying going over to Spain at one point and being in an industry where I was really bending my morality and could have gotten my, like literally could have gotten myself killed at one point from doing some really stupid stuff as a young wow. man. Yeah. Wow. And then, and that was like a whole other realm. And then I yeah. came back from doing that and I was lucky to be alive. But then when I got back to Canada, I almost got myself killed again on the other side of it because there was basically what happened was a deal that went wrong in my former life. And I'm just saying like, I wasn't exactly a, an angel, but that deal that went wrong almost got me killed on both ends. And so, wow. there, yes, there's a whole, that's just one little couple chapters in the book but then i dive back into the dance game and what ended up happening was i ended up meeting up with the best male dancer in all of canada he ended up being my mentor he said "Corey, you are really good at what you do you have all everything you need to be able to do this man he was like i'll show you everything i need he's like we'll create you a name we'll create you an act we'll put it all yeah. together we had we i'm telling you we had that thing together in two weeks and wow. then i'm going i'm going out to do my first show and yeah. i'm like I'm thinking, and obviously, I mean, who wouldn't be nervous? You're going out to take yeah. all your clothes off. And I'm talking all your clothes off here in Canada. Oh, really? The, oh, yeah, we do the full Monty, right? Oh, so, my. <laughs> mm -hmm. So as a young all guy. Right, then. <laughs> right, right. So I'm yeah. going out there to do this, and I'm pretending to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator. And I'm going out to do this crazy, cheesy act. And I look nice. out of there in the front row, and who do I see but about four or five girls from my graduating class in high school sitting in the front row waiting for me to come out. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Now, I was nervous oh, already, boy. but now I'm really nervous. Yeah. So I did the show. It went. It, believe it or not, it wasn't as bad as – it's all, like anything with fear. It's all the build-up. Mm -hmm. It's not the actual action, right? So Yeah. As soon as you step on stage, that's when things kind of you know dissipate. Yeah. Obviously, I've, I've never been on that particular stage, but I have <laughs> yeah. been on other stages. And I have – like I haven't felt that adrenaline that, mm -hmm. that, that, that a lot of people would translate as fear. I translated that as fear for a mm -hmm. while. But then as soon as I would step out on stage – it all went away. So yeah, that's yep. that I'm it sure did. like you were feeling something similar there. Yeah, man. If you're not feeling those butterflies, you don't care. That's the way I see it. You got, you're not, then, there's no, then you have no business being on that stage. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And through my career, I don't, I think there wasn't, there was, I don't think there was really any show that I ever did that I didn't feel the butterflies at some, to some degree before going out. I mean, it was just always kind of there, but, but yeah, just, I'll, I'll briefly just say that when it came down to that first show, it was, it was scary, but I ended up doing it. And then basically what ended up happening was I ended up working in, in British Columbia, Canada, became one of the better dancers in BC here. And then I started traveling across Canada and mm -hmm. I had some failures because I was trying to be too creative at times. And I never wanted to be this typical male dancer doing the YMCA or the cop or the firefighter or all that stuff. I wanted to be creative and original. So I mm -hmm. tried my best and had some major failures doing that. And then I had, then all of a sudden I kind of figured it out and it was like, 
I realized that it's great to be creative, but it's also, it's really, really great to actually kind of have a hybrid of it where you're clear and you're creative and use other people's successes and take, take those successes and throw your own accent on it. So when I did that, that was when mm -hmm. I won Mr. Nude Western Canada. That was when I went and won, I went, I went into Mr. Nude Canada and placed second. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, it was like, I didn't expect this to happen, but there was this agent that I'd met years ago working in that original club that I started off at. And he turned around and he said to me, he gave me his card back then. And he said, if you ever want to come to work down in Florida, he said, give me a call. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. when I really like you. Give me a call. And so I left that card in my pocket all those years. This guy was somebody that ran a dance review here in well, throughout Florida, the whole Southeastern United States. And it was actually at that time, the number one burlesque show in all of North America. This is not, we're talking in the heyday of male exotic dancing. This isn't, this is a foregone industry compared to what it was back then. Right. Yeah. So when it came down to it, when he invited me on with that, I, I kept that card. I thought that's, that's worth keeping. So when I mm -hmm. got to the point that I felt like I needed to really expand my market, I'd already hit that pinnacle here in Canada. I was like, okay, I'm calling this guy. And yeah. ironically, when I called him, he turned around and said, okay, Corey, well, we're coming up there. My guys are coming up there in a couple of weeks and we're doing a three-week tour in British Columbia. So if you can get them to their shows on time and you can learn their choreography, you have yourself a position. And wow. I was like, wow, okay. So now my life just instantly changed. It was yeah. like, and I'm a jumper. I jump at opportunity when I see it. I'm not, I'm not, fear, I'm, I'm, I'm not fearful of, of doing that. So I jumped on board. I learned everything I needed to. Ended up getting on board with them. Went beelined across the country for like three days straight of driving, ended up in Panama City Beach, Florida, working for the mm -hmm. largest beach club in North America at the time. And my life completely changed. And what ended up happening, George, was is I went into an environment which was a completely new world that mm -hmm. was of no judgment, of no, no normalization of who I was in my past, which was a big thing. And yeah. so when I walked into there, I drove up and there was a life-size picture of me and the rest of the guys sitting there on the billboard when we drove in. Right. So nice. now I just went from instantly from this guy that was just traveling around Canada to right. an instant superstar. And it was just mayhem. Oh. And so then then I'd never done any drugs in my entire life either. The only thing I'd ever done in my life was actually drink some beers on the weekend with my friends in high school. I was mm -hmm. very clean as far as being in my diet and everything as a bodybuilder and kept myself in really good shape. But again, I was in this new world. And as I said earlier, I was emotionally disconnected. And I didn't really know how to connect to it. And so I found that connection through through the chemical source, through ecstasy when I ended up oh, there. Man. And and that dropped, that bomb dropped me into a whole different world. And so I opened up emotions that I never felt before. And what happened was I felt a new sensation that was incredibly mentally addictive that put me into a place where I went right on top of the world really, really fast. And I'm talking like I was just having a great time and everybody wanted a piece of me and it was just i had so many acquaintances and what mm -hmm. i ended up finding out in the end was is all those acquaintances really didn't mean a whole lot i really mm -hmm. really needed to have those those concrete value-based relationships and i could not never find that in the club scene but at the yeah. same time do i regret those experiences huh, no way I had so many, I had so many incredible experiences that most people can never dream of that I've wrote about in the book that are just mm -hmm. like, and this is again, why I wrote the book. It wasn't just because of the, the stories, but it really was giving that perspective of, of that side of it where maybe stereotypically society might say, okay, well, this was bad or this was good or whatever. But I can honestly say that those times in my life, if those times didn't happen, I wouldn't be the person that I am right now. I wouldn't have been able yeah. to open up my emotions the way that I do now. 
But now I'm in a different phase of life where I'm through the I'm through the drug I'm out of the drug hazed reality. I'm mm-hmm. in an account I'm in an accountability zone now, which is completely yeah. different because I'm not irresponsible as I was before. Mm-hmm. But what being a free bird and being irres- being irresponsible and doing all that stuff really when I really look back at it I'm I'm glad that I did and I'll always be a free bird and that's what my goal is is to always be a free bird and so now my creativity is just in the writing process but I can go on for days my friend as far as the way that this whole thing laid out but when it came down to Florida I I ended up in a place where eventually although a lot of people say oh that would be living the dream well I was to a certain degree but I had this hollow spot in me where I really just wanted some kind of stability to a certain degree too, after mm-hmm. a long time of that, right? Like I went for years of partying and, yeah. and really that, and when you're being paid to party, like when you're actually, you're, you're literally like you're, you go out on a pool deck to entertain during the day and lay around tanning and having a couple drinks with, and tr- trying to attract people inside the club. And then your biggest responsibility is to learn some choreography and go to the gym. And then the next thing you're doing is, is you're going out on stage to do that choreography and then it's like everybody just wants to party with you till four o'clock and five, six, seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, right? And mm-hmm. so, but when that repetitively happens for days, weeks, months, it starts the, to wear. The grind gets to you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really does. And so that was where I went into a downward spiral after a while, right? Mm. And was really trying to find who I was and really find my true identity. And and then what ended up happening was, is I was on the road one day and I ran in, I just, um, just by chance happened to see this one girl that I, I ended up in Macon, Georgia of all places. Mm-hmm. And she just like the first time I saw her, I was just like, Oh my God, like it just was almost this love at first sight moment. And she was the first woman in my life that in my entire career that I didn't take her dollar bill. I yeah. refused it. And really, you know, yeah. And it ended up being, it was crazy, crazy because it didn't take more than six months and we were married and wow. yeah. And it was crazy because like the thing was, is I admittedly say this, and this is a hard thing for me to be able to admit, especially even now, but the, the but where I was at was I was actually in a position where I was looking for that stability and she was as well, but just in a different way. She needed a lot of help because she was in a really a bad situation where she was living in middle Georgia and kind of like a farmhouse that should have been condemned and everything else. And she was really in a rough place. And I could, I could tell that she was somebody that wanted control and I could control her and believe Mm. it or not, I was still living in that Ricky Lucy mentality of old school marriage relationship sort of stuff where that was what I was raised around. My grandparents raised me. So what did I think as the man? I was like, I've got to be the hunter gatherer. I've got to be the mm-hmm. guy that provides. The wife sits at home and does her thing and I do my thing. And it was just such this 1950s mentality of life, right? But I carried it into 2000. And mm-hmm. it was almost like a, I guess you could say a pattern of destruction waiting to happen. And although she was really, really like content with me doing what I was doing for for a career. In fact, I made her feel very, very good about what I did for a career. When the when that kind of ended and I, I I got out of the industry, as I said before, when my creativity died, part of me died as well. And that was the part actually that she fell in love with. Mm. And after seven years of being married, and I'm really condensing this stuff down really, but after seven years of being married, when that degradation happened, we both changed and we went into different directions. We grew mm-hmm. differently. And we just didn't stay connected. We communicated, but we didn't connect. And yeah. we all that time. And so 
this is what I really, really try to enhance when I'm talking to, especially guys over 30 that are, la- or are dealing with lack and disconnection issues. I'm always kind of drilling that home that really check in with your partner, really like make sure that you're taking that time periodically to really see where they're at, see where you're at, how you're emotionally feeling about your relationship and what you have to work on because it's always going to be work. But if you want yeah. those t- ties that bind to stay bind- bound, if you both want it, then you have to do that. You have to connect, not just communicate, right? So they say communication is the key. I call bullshit. I think connect, connection is the key. It's not communication, it's connection, right? Yeah. So, and that's where I, like I said, come back to after going through a divorce. And like I said, man, my life has just been absolutely insane. Because when I, when I got divorced, believe it or not, it was actually after I had had a really bad thing happen where I was so irresponsible living in the U.S. for as long as I did, working under the table and not getting my what together. That what yeah. in the end, when I didn't have a social security number down there, and then I ended up working that for so many years, I came back to Canada to get it right eventually because I was going to get out of the industry and go into a completely different industry. Yeah, and I, I needed to have that. So I had a house, I had a car, I had a dog, cat, I had the white picket fence, I had everything in Florida. Right, mm-hmm. I come back to Canada to get that all right. And it ended up smacking me right in the face. I tried to go back to my home and they basically nailed me at the border at five, five o'clock in the morning and basically scribbled on that piece of paper. And that ended everything. It was like my life just completely went right down the tubes at 38 years old. I lost everything that I had and I was living out of a bag and I had to start over up here where I live now living in my aunt's basement, believe it or not, and had to rebuild my life from scratch again. And in that, that whole thing, I lost my wife through that process. I lost mm-hmm. everything. And I'm telling you, if there was ever a time that I was looking down from the ledge thinking that it was going to be over for me, that was the time it was going to be because, man, I was, that, was, that was my decision-making moment back then. Now, that was over 15 years ago now, right? But when it comes down to it, like all of us are susceptible to it. We all have our mental health issues, and it doesn't matter whether you might think the perception of a male dancer has it all together or just is maybe a party animal that just does drugs all the time or just screws around with a bunch of women. Well, guess what? I was the guy that stayed faithful to my ex-wife. She was mm-hmm. the one. That, she was the one that actually strayed on me. Wow. So, yeah, but that's why I come back to that whole thing about blame game. I can yeah. point. That, I could. I pointed that finger at her, George, for 15 years. I pointed that finger at her, saying it's all your fault. But I came to realize mm-hmm. it wasn't all her fault. It really wasn't all her fault. I wasn't mm-hmm. being authentic myself, and yeah. so I, 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 I pushed her towards that, and she just went to a place that she could never go back. And mm-hmm. that was that was intentional because she had too much of a heart. She would have come back if if she didn't go all the way and do that. So it's not like yeah. it's not like I condone it, but at the same time, I've come to terms with it and I'm okay yeah. with it. And again, that comes back to liberating my own mind, right? And yeah, yeah. And at, at the same at the same time, though, it's it's you're in the situation where you've literally, like you said, you've lost everything. You're in a position yeah. where there's only like you have. One, one of two directions that you can go in, you mm-hmm. can either go off the ledge, like you were saying, or yep. you can, you can evaluate where you are and just be like, okay, I still have skills for, yes. I know what I can do. I know what kind of person I am and what, you know, like I lost everything and I'm still here. And yeah, so man. as long as you have that extra day ahead of you, yep. then you have that opportunity to write that ship in some way. It's not going to go all the way right back on day one. It's going to take a lot of time, but if, as long as you're willing to take that first few steps, then mm. you can get yourself 
back in a not completely back to what you were before, but at least get yourself back to some level of comfort. Yeah. And, and I will say when it comes to that, it took a long, lot longer than it should have. I went on a very long forest gump walk for about seven or eight <laughs> years. If you want to know the truth after that, really yeah. dwelling on a lot of stuff, um, really pointing, pointing my finger at others, not just personally, but professionally too, due to it. And yeah. really holding on to a lot of that negative emotion, having a lot of negative self-talk, a lot of limiting beliefs, a lot of imposter syndrome going into something new and going, oh, well, you were just this before. You, yeah. you can't do that, Corey. I sat there and said to my, I had people saying to me, oh, you should write a book. I had so many people saying that to me so many years saying you should write a book. And I should have on myself for so many years with that one and never did it. And then eventually I just came to a point where when I really took the time and I took almost two years off of life, off of career, off of relationships, everything. And I just did a really deep, deep dive in the, where I was at as far as like why these crazy things happened to me. And I started really understanding how authenticity was all linked to that. And I started really jotting down those values and actually figuring out, okay, what are my core values and what are yeah. the feelings that represent those core values? And then if I got all those feelings, like what do all those feelings represent? And, and, and just really coming to understand like when I got that, that arc of intensity, so to speak in my gut, when somebody would be triggering me, I'd try to figure out, okay, like why is this triggering me? Is it really yeah. just because of what they said or is it something else that I'm mm -hmm. holding on to? Right? So by doing that, when I wrote my book, I had originally wrote all these stories out for almost five years ago, believe it or not. But what ended up happening was as I was able to take that those those chapters and put a value statement as a pillar, like an actual value. So in my first chapter, for example, it, the value is truth. The struggle that I had with the value is pers perspective, right? Mm. So my perspective of the truth was skewed. And so that really is reminded to the reader throughout the chapter. And at the end of the chapter, I inject my quote, naked truth into mm -hmm. the story where it's like, this is from me now. This is from after I've learned all this stuff. This is from my accountable side. That's not hazed by any other thing. This is just like no rose color glasses. Bam. Yeah. This is what it is. Right. So I put mm -hmm. that all down and that's why I call it revelations of a male exotic dancer, because I reveal all these things through this mm -hmm. whole life to the end where it's like, my final revelation is, is I'm talking to my 30 year old self. I'm talking to that guy that was back then saying, dude, don't do this. Like just, just because <laughs> you right. don't necessarily have to go through all this stuff. So many people, like they drag this stuff on and I, I realized like so many times why I was so emotionally distraught, for example, when a relationship didn't go the right way. And I tried to figure out, okay, like, why is it that this is happening? And I kind of came back reason for sense of abandonment in my past or, or a sense of not understanding like my, my, my true family background and having disappointments and stuff where you're looking for support and you're not getting it at times. And right. so, yeah, and those things all trigger you. And those are, that's what I come back to those little layers that just stack up and stack up and stack up. Right. So I, I had so many layers on me that it was hard to even see the light. But when I removed those layers and I saw my authentic self, that made the, the world a difference. Then I started attracting other people into my life that were the same as me, not yeah. people that were pointing the fingers, but that was actually attracting people that were willing to use their thumb and mm -hmm. willing to be their honest self as well. And that was great because when I found that true authenticity, that door closed on some of those former relationships and opened up a new world, a new door. It was just so gratifying. And so that's why I moved into this zone of authenticity coaching because 
I already know, like, it's, it's, it's not just a gift that was given to me. It's something that I've walked that walk in such yeah. a different, different way than most people will ever dream of walking it. So it's not that I'm sitting here trying to say, I know it all. I definitely don't. I'm still learning and growing just like anyone else, but mm-hmm. I can give somebody like an honest perspective, like, and say, Hey, okay, well, you're here. This is a way that you can get away from that. This is a way that we can kind of give you that roadmap as to kind of how to find that in yourself. I'm not here mm-hmm. to tell them they're going to discover that themselves just through speaking with me and having that, that mutual relationship going back and forth, right? Because that to me, a true authentic leader is willing to be vulnerable enough that they're going to go and they're going to get that feedback about their weaknesses from other people and their strengths and utilize those and, and help them out to figure that stuff out as well, if that makes sense. So yeah, oh, it does. Yeah. And so it, it, uh, it very much kind of leads into one of the things that I always like to talk about on the show pretty early in on the show really is, is discussing the lightning bolt moment, which is that moment you experience something, meet someone, see something or something, and just makes you go, that's the direction I want to be. And that's the kind of person I want to be. It sounds like you're, you had like a lightning bolt moment early on, like when you first saw like, what was it when you first saw the show, the show, like on the stage and everything? That's when you kind of realized that, like, you could go in that direction. Mm. Um, and it was, but then it was later on after you mm. went through everything. That's when all of a sudden it was just like, oh, it's my own experience. That's what I, that's where I want to go. And it's almost like you went through everything yourself instead mm. of like seeing someone that inspired you. It was, yourself inspiring yourself and kind of giving yourself that sort of perspective that kind of you know led you down led you on the current path that you're on right now am i am i correct on that yeah i I would say there's a few different needle movers so to speak yeah (laughs) (laughs) And, and 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 yeah you're right i actually never really saw myself as somebody in fact at first i didn't dream that i could do this for a career I really Mm -hmm. didn't. I had all the self-doubt more so than most people ever would to be completely straightforward. But the Mm -hmm. one thing I was leaned on was my exterior. I had Mm -hmm. a great exterior. I could get away with the exterior. I got away with the exterior for 43 years of my life without ever addressing any of my interior issues whatsoever. None. And I had all that stuff built up inside of me that just was not, I didn't, I wasn't willing to address it. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, but you have to be willing to address your authenticity. You have to, mm-hmm. you, it's like anything. If you want to get in great shape, you got to be willing to go to the gym. If you want to change your diet, you have to be willing to do it. Just like, a, just like this, you have to be willing to address it. It was the scariest thing for me. And yeah. so by doing that, and I'm getting to the needle mover, a second needle mover, is, is that I had to go so deeply into my family background that mm-hmm. there was some hard things that I had to accept not that I didn't love my family, but it was hard things that I had to accept and admit that caused that, that was, that was basically, because it's just all your, really your upbringing. It's the words that you've heard. It's the things that you've dealt with. And so they can be great at times. They can also be very damaging and they can carry you and carry those things into your adulthood. And I didn't realize truly that I really was carrying those things. Mm. So with, I, I didn't I didn't want to though reveal those things in a book format until my grandparents had both passed away because mm-hmm. when it came down to it i all i didn't want to tarnish the image that they had of me they were so mm-hmm. supportive of me in so many ways i just didn't want them to see some or hear some of the things that were written in the book to be straight up about it 
But at the same time, the big needle mover for me to start writing the book was when my grandfather, my biological, I call him my father, when he passed away. Because when he passed away, I was like, okay, now it's open. And, 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 but at the same time, (laughs) I will say that although I took all that time to do all that work and I did, I wrote it in my eyes and so many people, other people's eyes now that I'm hearing from, I wrote an amazing book and I'm so proud of it. In fact, it's Mm -hmm. probably my most proud accomplishment that I've ever had in my life because I was able Mm -hmm. to face my truth and reveal it. Yeah. That made me literally on the day that my book launched and it went on to Amazon and hit like top 10 in three categories. I went into my bedroom and like hit under the covers because I was just like, oh my freaking God, like my, my real story is out there for the world to read now. Oh my and the God, world is like, reading it. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. hard. Like, that's like, Oh, like, even though I'd been working on it for so long when it got real, it got mm-hmm. real, real quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I know. I know so, how that is. Cause like back in, uh, back in 2018, my publisher was able to, as soon as he got my uh, YA sci-fi book out mm-hmm. in wider distribution, almost immediately he landed a book bub promotion. And so now all of a sudden it's a featured deal on the BookBub page and it was mm-hmm. set for December of 2018. And once it came, once that, that store, once that book came out on that, on that promotion, all of a sudden it reached, it reached numbers higher than I'd ever seen my book reach before it reached number, it reached number one on one of the cat on one of the major categories on the Amazon us page, but then right. going over to Canada, it reached, mm-hmm three number one spots on three mm. different lists. And it was in like the top 50, I think of all the books sold on Amazon Canada. So it was just like, right. it got to be like, okay, so I guess I'm an international bestselling author. And then all of a sudden it was just like, oh, there are a lot of people that are not my friends that are reading this right now. Yeah. And so I can't just lean over their shoulder and say, this is what I really meant to be. It's going to be what that book is, what that story is. So right. the fact that right. it's, it's as personal as it is for you. Like that's gotta be even nerve wracking. Cause it's not just like, it's not just saying like, Oh, the story you told is crap. It's no, it's if they don't like it, they're rejecting you. And that is, that's something that's, that takes a lot of guts to really kind of come to terms with. Yeah, man, because you're just throwing out your own perspective. Like you're Mm -hmm. just, you're just throwing out the story of what you saw when you were with this particular person or when this event happened. And maybe that other person saw that through a different perspective or a different lens. And you're not out to offend. Like I didn't, I I made very careful through this whole process that I was no, I didn't, I did not want to hurt anyone through Mm -hmm. this at all, but I had to really, really, really keep it real. And a lot of the things that I wrote about were relationship based because for me, I just see it as, as that's what life's all about is creating memories and having amazing relationships, right? And the, yeah. those things also have massive learning experiences with, that come with that territory. So when I'm when I'm when I'm speaking about, or I should say, not public speaking yet, but when I'm actually when I put it down on paper, I really wanted it to be something that, again, you're going to be gripped by the story. You're going to be like, oh my god, I can't put this down. But at the same time, I want that to be something that the a person can take something from it with them and maybe implement a couple of those things into their own life. Right. Just yeah. to, cause to me, it's not just about like, I I'm a great storyteller. Like I'll ramble on. If you want to be on here for five hours, I can tell you about stories. <laughs> like we can go on and on and on about that, but that only really goes so far. Like, and yeah. that's just, again, like, and, and it's fun for me. I'm, I, I don't, I have zero, like, like I said, regrets as far as what I did in my former career. In fact, I'm quite proud of, what I was able to do because I didn't necessarily like, there's a reason why I sustained a 25 year career. 
I honestly mm -hmm. don't know anyone. I don't even know one male dancer that I've seen in Canada or the US, quite frankly, that has sustained that long of a career ever. Wow. Not one. So wow. why was that? Well, <laughs> it was really because when it came down to it, although I went through my drug phase at that mm -hmm. one at the one period, I really did kind of just try to keep everything like try to keep my my I guess you could say egotism in check to a certain degree. I tried to keep myself as real as I possibly could through it. And mm -hmm. really, I tried to always treat others with an element of respect that a lot of other dancers weren't doing. And I saw a lot of really nasty things that men did with women or men did with men or whatever it was through many, many mm -hmm. years. Yeah, I was really kept a lot of pride that I wasn't going to be that guy. I, I wanted mm. to make sure that I still kind of kept my moral compass in check. I kept my integrity in check when there was yeah. times when I might, I bent at times. I really did. I bent, but I mm -hmm. never broke. And that was something that again, nice. through my marriage, it was like as much as people say, Oh yeah, until death do you part and all the rest of it. I kind of did take that kind of literally when I got married and, and it was, it meant something to me. And, and I knew that she had a past and she knew that I had a past, but I really did kind of try my best to, to keep that really sacred. And, and when it, when it all broke, I broke when mm. it, when it really did. And, and so I use this term when I'm, when I was writing my book, I actually use this, I guess you could say statement at the very end when I'm talking to my former version of myself and it's about bottling up your emotions and us mm -hmm. guys, Oh, we just love to bottle up emotions. Oh so, yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah we so, definitely do. And I was on steroids when it came to bottling up emotions because I was just like oh, my no. dad bottled up emotions, I bottled up emotions, and I'd mm -hmm. bottle he'd bottle it up and bottle it up, and all of a sudden out of the blue, boom, he'd say something that was just right off base. It didn't even come, it wasn't even normal to come out of his mouth, and he yeah. would regret it. And it was just because he just it just built up and built up, right? So mm -hmm. my the the statement that I use in, in my book is is let the damn break before you damn break. Like just cry mm -hmm. it out. Do what you got to do. Like go into another I room. I love that. I love that, by the way. Let the damn break before you damn break. Like that's yeah. that's like, that's fantastic. And that's something that, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that I, I've I got my history of dealing with as well. Like a lot of different things that I that that have slowed me down that have been just real, just you know very heavy like on me in mm -hmm. terms of in terms of who I am in terms of what I do in terms of the jobs that I have in terms like everything it's just like why can't I do this and just holding myself up to these these expectations which in a lot of cases I had no business holding myself up to but they're but they were there and whether it was whether it came from whether it came from my family whether it came from my parents like whatever at the end of the day, it's always me that accepted what they were saying, what they yes. the sort of expectations that they were putting on me. I was accepting those mm -hmm. and then trying to live up to those. And it's only recently when I kind of realized that I there's I should not be doing that anymore. So say someone wants yeah. So say so say say someone wants to they know that you're an accountability coach hopefully like after reading this or after, yeah. after watching, listening to the show yeah. and they want to want to touch base with you in some yeah. way, how would they do that? What would be the first thing that you would suggest that they do to yeah. get on this, on this path? Well, definitely go to take it off.ca. Mm -hmm. That's my website. 
right at the moment, I really just have the sale of my book on there right now, which you can also find on Amazon and amazon.ca, of course, right? But like I said, I'm waiting until I actually am 100% certified here in this next couple of weeks. I'm waiting until I put that on as a as, a, as something that I'm going to add on to my, I guess you could say, tool belt. But honestly, mm -hmm. I'm more than excited about that right now, George, because that's really my calling, if you want to know the truth, is one-on-one -on -one coaching or, for that matter, doing video coaching where I can actually have it kind of, I guess you could say, uh, streamable content that a person can gather when they so choose to and have it packaged deal together with my book. And I'm right. just putting yeah. that stuff together, right, to add more value. To me, it's about adding value. And mm -hmm. again, like, I kind of feel like this, I, and this is something that I think that I know this is a little flighty, but for me, this is something that I came to realize is I've always had this embedded lack inside of me and it's just been kind of there. And it's from that perfectionist tendency stuff. Cause even what you just mentioned, as much as you don't, maybe some people don't want to admit they tend to try to be perfect. So they're trying to be perfect in this airbrushed mm -hmm. freaking world of social media and all the rest of that. Oh yeah. Progre progression is so much better. And I've learned that through my yoga practice is just really to just accept the progression and laugh at your failure, laugh at your faults and your failures and just try to get better the next time. But mm -hmm. what I was going to say is, is that like when it comes to the, the coaching side, like, or, or the, the, the mentoring side, I just really feel that, that, it's 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 the mo it's so much more gratifying for me to 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 go into that realm over and above even the book like the book is great but i really want to give value because the reason why i want to give value so badly is cuz mm -hmm. i want to increase my own value because yeah. that quite frankly is the only way that i'll ever rid lack out of my head and i'll like mm -hmm. this it was 2 years ago that i actually went to the philippines and i went to indonesia and i spent a month in the philippines and I was walking down the most beautiful beach in the world in Boracay. And it was, mm. it was Valentine's Day. And it was just like the most stunning moment, right? Yeah. And most people in this world would be walking on that beach going, oh, my God, I am so grateful for this moment. And don't get me wrong, I sure was. But the sad part was is I still had that lack in my head. I had a fat bank account and everything else. But I still had that feeling of lack in my mind that would not mm -hmm. go away. Why was that? It's because my value wasn't high enough. I have to actually increase my value so that it really, none of that stuff ever matters again. And you could take everything away from me and I could yeah. still get everything back next week because my value is just that great. If you talk to Oprah Winfrey, you could take everything away from her today, but by next week she'd have it all back again. I don't yep. think she has a whole lot of lack in her mind. I really yeah. just don't. That's Absolutely. my freedom. That's, that's, that's my final layer. Like, mm -hmm. cause there's, cause as I said, it's taken it off. It's about removing those layers, right? So what you were just talking about actually is removing those layers, those things that are embedded from other people, those words from other people, whatever it is, those layers that are in your head. That's mm -hmm. sort of like for me right now, that final layer for me is removing that, that lack layer. And it's going to take time. I, I'm yeah. patient. It's going to take time, but it'll happen. And that's, mm -hmm. that's really my lifelong goal. If believe it or not, because it's actually held, it's held so much against me. It's kept me in such a prison in my own mind. That that's mm -hmm. my biggest goal in my life is to increase my value that much and give that much value to the world that that all that other stuff just doesn't matter anymore. That's really. fabulous. And so, so they can find so my listeners can find you on takeitoff.ca. Where else can they find yeah. you? Oh, uh, Facebook, of course. I'm on Facebook mm -hmm. and Instagram. I'm even on Twitter occasionally, but I don't really have a very good Twitter account. If you want to know the truth, I but yeah, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. No. It, it can be, if, if you're trying, if you're, if you're trying to keep up accountability and positivity, Twitter's not exactly the place to nah, go to. Nah, but I mean, I'm more honestly. I, I, I try to to so, like, social media is one of those things that does not make my vibration very high. 
And mm-hmm. honestly, like this is something that I always keep a check on is yeah. my vibration. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm a little bit hippy dippy with that sort of stuff, but I will say this, <laughs> this is something that I do that a lot of listeners might take from that might get a little bit of in- interest in doing every once in a while. Yeah. And that is, is when you're actually going through your daily life and you're actually going through the actions that you do in your day, if you're spending time with your kids from one to 10, how does that make you feel? Mm-hmm. And if it's an eight, that's great. Jot that down. If it's if if you you take maybe the next thing in your day, maybe you went zip lining and you had like an amazing experience. Did that make you even feel better? Maybe it did. Jot that right. down as a nine. And then what you do is is you take all those actions through your day. And mm-hmm. so say it was 10 of them, and you actually have maybe a three behind social media, scrolling on social media. Maybe you have like a nine at zip lining, maybe you have an eight being with your kids, and you take the number of those. So say there was 10. And you add up all those numbers and then you divide it by 10. And that's the way you get your average vibration. So say you're at, you divide that and you get 7.5 as an example, which was where I was last time I checked mine, which is not bad. Yeah. And I have to question myself after that and go, hmm, is the action that I'm doing right now, is that making me, is that above or below a 7.5? If it's below, I might want to try to actually move into doing something different. So that's yeah. the reason why I don't spend a lot of time on social media. I only spend the time on there that I need to because I find that social media is very, very, yeah, it's very tough sometimes to deal with the things that are on there because it's just so that, that I don't know, it's just that I guess you could say there's just such judgment on there and there's so many mm-hmm. things that are taken out of context on there. And oh yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a world that I wasn't raised in. And mm-hmm. I'm glad I wasn't. I'm really glad that I was around in the era before all that stuff even showed up where people actually connected and spoke face to face and got to really kind of feel it instead mm-hmm. of just, oh, this is what I had for lunch today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. You know, so. And yeah, I I cannot I cannot think of a better a, a better phrase to wrap all of this up than what Corey said before let your damn break before you damn break I am holding out to that that's my gonna be my own personal mantra getting through the the, the rest of this year and not even just like getting through the rest of the year but the rest the rest of the year and living it to the best that I possibly can and I hope that all of you are taking the time for yourself to really kind of check in with yourself and allow yourself to really kind of make, hold yourself accountable to things and get Mm -hmm. yourself back into, if you're not there yet to get yourself back into a good space with your head in a good space with your, with your environment, good space with, with your family, with your loved ones, their communication, by all means, I want nothing but the best for all of you to, as we all um, continue on through the rest of this year. So for Corey Lane Hilton, this is George Sorori saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.